Today we continue our series in Philippians, studying the faith of an underdog. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 will teach us about humility, seeing the height of God's greatness and the depth of his love will lead us to consider others better than ourselves and to humble ourselves before the Lord. A more full view of who God is and what he has accomplished through Jesus Christ will right-size us, leading us to strong and sustainable humility. Hear the word of the Lord. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Good morning. It is a joy to worship the Lord with you this morning. I encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We are going to be in the text. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to open Scripture on your phone uh, or your computer. But let's have the Word of God in front of us as we worship Him during this time in uh, dependency, praying that it would dwell richly in our hearts, that we might not just be inspired, but truly transformed. I want to thank you all for the ways that you have cared for me and my family as I was recovering from COVID. I was telling somebody earlier, I'm maybe a a little bit more of a wuss than others. I was laid out for eight days, uh, isolated for 11, and very humbled by the care of our congregation. Very, very grateful. Our congregation is gifted at caring for each other, and that's why uh, as we navigate this time of crisis, we've put together uh, the Redeeming the Crisis Task Force, and we hope that you would allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life to discern ways that you can participate in God's work of redeeming this crisis as we care for one another and our communities and our city. Everybody's been affected by the casualties that are cascading down from the COVID-19 crisis, and every Christian has a role uh, to bring redemption to this crisis. Uh, We are definitely in unprecedented times, but this is not the first or the worst time of our history. We're going to get through this, and we're going to get through it stronger. We've seen darker days, uh, and as we navigate this time, we must be sure to right-size ourselves with a full-size God of who, a full-size picture of who God has revealed himself to be. Humility is key to navigating this time in a healthy way. Uh, God reveals who he is in his word, and he reveals his work in Jesus Christ. And we will be right-sized when we realize more of who God is and what he's done for us.
Humility is our key to moving forward with health. God reveals himself as a God whose lips spoke creation into existence out of nothing. God speaks life. God speaks hope. God speaks truth with his lips. It's the hands of God that hold his people. They bring healing. In fact, God's hands hold the world, everything, all eternity. He's the potter. We're the clay. God is a great God, and he's seated. He sits on the throne. He has conquered every single enemy. Under his feet are the enemies of every power, every authority, every ruler. God sits enthroned above them all. Even death, even sin, even darkness. God sits enthroned. He rules over all that is seen, over every governor, every political power, every piece of the economy. God rules over everything that is unseen, every virus, every fear, and every anxiety. Our God reigns, and we've got to have a fresh view of his greatness. He rules over all uncertainties. He rules over every fear, every problem, every point of pain. He alone gets the last word. And we will be right-sized when we have a more fresh view of who he is. Strong and sustainable humility come from seeing God freshly in his work. I uh, don't want you to confuse humility with humiliation. You see, Uh, One of the greatest enemies of of learning humility is taking our work more serious than God's work. We seek to make our own name great by our own performance. I fell into this trap when we lived in Indonesia. I learned the language and I worked to try to impress and gain acceptance to the people we were there to serve. And I I learned the language and I remember uh, learning some jokes in Indonesia and I wanted to teach and be able to tell jokes. And in case my jokes didn't go over culturally, I learned how to say in Indonesia, I'm just kidding, saya bercanda. I wanted them to know, even if they didn't understand my joke, that I was kidding. I remember the first time that I attempted to use my work to gain a greater acceptance with the people that I was there to serve. And I was speaking in Indonesian to the best of my ability, and I told a joke. And I knew what I needed to say at the end in case it didn't go over well, saya bercanda. But instead of saying that, I said, saya bercinta. And everyone started laughing really hard. And I realized my joke wasn't that funny. And someone yelled from the back. They said, sir, you said you are making love. (laughs) You see, saya berchanda means I am joking, but saya berchinta means something far different. I was the joke myself. And humiliation, absent from a focus on the greatness of God and his work for us, just feeds pride, where we try to perform more so that we can be accepted and we can gain affirmation on a horizontal perspective. But true humility, strong and sustainable humility, comes only when we are right-sized by the greatness of our God and his work in Jesus Christ. Paul's focus today of application is the church, the people of God, are renewed humanity by the grace of God that we have unity in the work of God. And that unity is translated in every relationship we have in our marriages, 
in our families, in our friendships, at the workplaces, our, our social gatherings, and in our society. Our culture rejects humility that leads to unity. And Christian worldview from Scripture, with a, re, a revelation of the greatness of who God is and a realization of the work that we have in Christ, that is the source of strong and sustainable humility. And so what we're going to do, we're going to begin with Christ's exaltation and then work our way to his humiliation so that we can focus in on application this morning. So the first thing that we're going to see is the greatness of Jesus. Jesus is the greatest. Look at verse 9 to 11 of this chapter. Please look down at what it says. Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you hear that? Jesus is the greatest. Jesus sits on a throne and Every knee will bow, every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, every knee under earth, every knee visible, every knee invisible will bow to King Jesus. Every tongue will confess, every tongue in heaven, every tongue on earth, every tongue under the earth, every tongue that is seen, every tongue that is unseen will declare Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the greatest of all history, the greatest of all time, the greatest in the past, the greatest in the present. Jesus Christ is exalted as the greatest. Do you see him that way? It's hard in a culture that is in chaos, in a society that seems to celebrate the powers of this earth, but our unique circumstances are not so unique that we can't identify with the original audience that was in the church in Philippi. Now, Philippi uh, was uh, on Paul's second mission journey, he planted that church. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. You're first going to encounter a woman, a profitable woman, who sold purple dye. Her name was Lydia. She came to Christ, her and her whole household. She was a successful woman. Philippi was a successful place. The second person that you see come to Christ is the Philippian jailer. When Paul was in jail and God freed him, he stayed, and the Philippian jailer gave his life to Christ, and he and his household were baptized. You see, Philippi was the seventh mission focus of Paul, of 15, many scholars say, but it was his second missionary journey where Paul planted this church and he's writing them from prison on his fourth missionary journey. This is real history with real people. But what makes Philippi unique is that it was a town of about five to 10,000 people, but it was a very common place for retired military folks to move to. So that means that in Philippi, there was a very deep loyalty to the emperor. The emperor cult, the emperor occult, that means the worship of the emperor was central to life in Philippi. The worship of ancestors. And so when anyone was declared Lord in Philippi, it was Caesar. And that was pretty much it. In fact, uh, you can look at archaeological coins that are taken from this time. And you find on them the face of Caesar Augustus. You see, Philippi was replanted in the year 27 BC by Octavius. We call him uh, Emperor Caesar Augustus. And his face is on the coin and underneath his face, it says Augustus, son of the divine, son of God, for divine Julius Caesar. You see, in that context where the culture centered on calling Caesar Lord, 
and worshiping ancestors and worshiping the cult, Paul proclaims that there is only one Lord. Jesus is Lord, and it's not the Roman emperor Caesar who's Lord. It's not any political power that is Lord. It is Jesus who is the greatest. Jesus is Lord, and, and, and when tongues confess, it will be every tongue that will confess Jesus is the greatest, the greatest power. Jesus is the greatest the greatest ruler. Jesus is Lord of all of heaven and on earth and under the earth. You see, this part of Philippians is an ancient Christian hymn, a poem that was spoken in worship to come out of the lips of God, to shape the lives of the people of God who lived in a culture that bowed a knee to the political powers, the imperial powers of the day. But in a counterinsurgent way, God calls his people to live lives from hearts of humility, acknowledging the greatness of God who rules over all. This is where being right-sized by God's greatness transforms us and leads us to repent of just futile, tiny, weak lives of seeking our own greatness through our own work in a culture that commands performance, trying to achieve our identity and our status. What's crazy when you ask how Jesus became so exalted, so great, he became that exalted through his place of humiliation. Look down, and the second thing we see, Jesus humbled himself in love in verses six to eight. It's unbelievable Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is wild that Jesus took the form of a servant. Paul is very um, intentional in how he writes this section. The Greek language uh, has a clear um, uh, foot, foot ends, a uh, heading and a beginning. Morphe theu, he's in the form of God. Morphe doulos, he took the form of a servant. And in the middle is the, this context that the greatest one of all, the one every knee bows to, and every tongue will confess, he took the form of humanity. The God who created the world was born into the world. The eternal son of God, he was birthed as a son to a teenage girl, a first-time parent. The lips of, of God who spoke the world into creation, the lips of God that give life, those lips had to learn to talk. They had to learn the alphabet, <laughs> Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, or Aleph, Beta, Gamma, Delta, hey, or Aramaic. I don't know what language Jesus learned, but he had to learn the alphabet with his lips. The author of creation, the hands that hold eternity, the hands that hold all things in their hands, his hands, all powers, your life, our lives, the sovereign hands of God had to learn to hold hammers and utensils. The feet, the feet of God that, that are on the footstool over every enemy, every power, every authority now. Those feet, they had to learn to walk. 
power of Christ's state of, of humility, his seat that now sits on the throne. He had to sit on the lap of mommy and daddy, sinful Mary and sinful Joseph sat the perfect son of God. The king who was born a child, he grew up to be a man, not to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Holy One who is perfect touched unclean lepers to show his healing power and his love. The majestic one washed people's feet, dirty, dirty disciples' feet. The author of life, he gave his life for us. He died on a cross, a place of humiliation for our justification. Jesus emptied himself, says the passage. He emptied himself of his position, of his prominence, of his power, so that he could serve, so that he could suffer, so that he could stand in our place. His death for our life, his brokenness for our wholeness. He entered into darkness so we could know light. He was hated and despised so that we could know love. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. This is why in our our catechism, in Heidelberg Catechism, um, uh, question number 40, I love this. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Powerful work of Christ. See, before the exaltation of Christ is the humiliation of Christ, the humble state of Christ. Death precedes life. Humility precedes honor. The greatest becomes a servant of all. I'm fascinated by by the way God reveals himself, the total exalted one in the, the humblest of all humble the world has ever known. I can't go into all of it, but I do want to point you to uh, my favorite systematic theologians, a guy named Hervin Bovink. This is his newest volume that's translated. He, he lived decades ago, uh, but this is the newest one that's translated. Um, and it's, uh, it's called The Wonderful Works of God. And there's two chapters in the middle of it that'll blow you away in focusing on the exaltation and the humiliation, hum, humble state of Christ. And, and you're going to find even in this, we don't have time to unpack it, but what Paul does in this Christ hymn, Uh, this early poem that's designed to come from the lips of God's people and shape our lives by God's grace, that he he, uh, draws the whole structure of it from Isaiah's servant passages, from Isaiah 42 uh, up through 53. It's, It's really powerful and beautiful the way that this passage is given to us. But we, we have to answer this question. Why? Why did he love us this way? Why did Christ do this? He did it because of love. John 3.16, the, the most well-known and familiar verse in Scripture, lets us know that it's for God so loved the world that he came. He sent his son. He didn't come to condemn the world, 
but he came that the world might be saved, that you might have faith and believe. That's why we have an identity that's received. It's by faith alone. And, and love is an easy way to remember what Christ has done for you. Yes, an acronym. L, he left the throne room of heaven. O, he was obedient. He lived an obedient life as a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross. V, he voluntarily gave his life for you. And then E, he was exalted by bodily resurrection and his ascension into heaven. That love for you, you've never been loved like that and you long to be loved like that in a way where the greatest power of all history and all time and all the world humbled himself for you so that you could be reconciled to God. And this is where we are really right-sized. We see the greatness of God and we see his love shown in humbling himself for us, his work. And finally, we, we see in our lives that a humble love from a great God, it leads to a humble life for God. This strong and sustainable humility only comes from that. If you look at the first four verses of this passage, and we'll see where we're going to end. It's where Paul begins this section. If you have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the power of an identity that's received. Everybody in our culture is trying to achieve an identity through our own performance, our own image management, our own passions, but that's not the gospel. The power of the gospel is that you have an identity bestowed upon you in Christ. And true humility comes when, when you understand what God, the greatest, has done for you in Christ. You are going to find the path of self-exaltation in the path of self-promotion, of focusing on your own work, exhausting, and it will kill you. But when we understand true humility and how to, how to sustain that in a strong way, you'll find life and a celebration of joy and love that you are eager to discover. Now, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, talked about humility, and he used a phrase. He said, humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's, no. See, I messed that up last time. I should just check my notes, huh? Glad that's funny to you, Carl. <laughs> he said, C.S. Lewis said, uh, humility, true humility, is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And here's the basic category of what he's saying. True humility, strong and sustainable humility, use the language of this sermon, it comes from fasting from yourself and feasting on the received identity, feasting on the grace of God, the work of God, and the greatness of God. That's what we're called to do uh, in, the, in the beginning parts of this passage. What do we feast upon? Look at this. Look at the first if. Feast on the fact that you have encouragement from being united with Christ. See that in verse 1? Uh, you have any encouragement of being in Christ. Our unity with the greatest person in power in history is accomplished through 
his Holy Spirit. We have encouragement. We feast upon being united with Christ in his life, united with Christ in his death, united with Christ in his exaltation. That's what Paul says in Romans 6, 1 to 5. You see that if, I want you to circle it in your Bible and carry it to the next three phrases. If you have any comfort from his love, how do we know his love? What if I don't feel his love? Well, historically and objectively, Christ left his throne room. He was obedient as a servant, as a human, to the point of death. He voluntarily gave his life for you, dying for sin, exalted, rising from the grave and ascending into heaven. It doesn't matter what you feel like. That happened historically. God loves you. I don't feel it. It doesn't matter. God loves you. I'm not experiencing it. Then wake up and feast on his faithfulness. God loves you. He gave himself for you. That's why he did this. And if we have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, and that next if, any participation in the spirit, do you see the power of this relationship? The greatest God Uh, The greatest power ever, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, we are in him by faith and faith alone, and he is in us by his Holy Spirit. That's intimacy. That's love. Participation in the Spirit. That's power to walk in a newness of life. That's power to turn from our sin and to put our sin to death and to walk in a newness of Christ and live the fruit of the Spirit. It's a, it's a power to stop planting bitterness, stop planting rage, to stop planting sins of the flesh, to stop being addicted, to stop being imprisoned by our bitterness and to start forgiving and to start reaping a harvest of righteousness, of love and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God that comes out of us when we participate in the Spirit. And then the final if that we feast on is that we have affection and sympathy. (laughs) We don't have this heart of competition with others. We have a heart of compassion and cooperation and collaboration. We must feast on who God is and, and what he has done for us. And you see in this passage that humility, it, it leads to unity. Verse 2, the same mind. Verse 2, the same love. Verse 3, one mind. And in verse 5, that's the mind of Christ. And in between that, we, we're free to not live our lives from selfish ambition. Living for ourselves, we're free to consider others better than ourselves. Can you imagine the power of that if the church learned to consider others better than ourselves? Wow. Looking not only to our own interests, but the interests of others. That only happens, we see in verse 4, in humility. Jesus humbled himself to show God's love so that we can humble ourselves before God and to show love to others. He offers grace to the humble. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to experience the privileged position of humbling yourself before God and before one another. Feasting on the faithfulness of God and loving each other in this way. I want to invite you to join me in this journey and understanding the kingdom trajectory that somehow that to find our lives, we lose it. Somehow that to really learn to live, we, we learn to die. Somehow true riches are discovered in, in being radically generous. Somehow the greatest position is a servant of all.
mean, can you imagine? Imagine a church where we really believe that and embodied that. Even our culture. I mean, if, if the church, if, if evangelicals or Christians, everybody who named Jesus as Lord, if we really believed that Jesus is the real superpower, you know how different our country and culture would be? Oh, we'd be right-sized by the greatness of God. Imagine that place. Imagine a place where people are so transformed by a view of the greatness of God in the humble power of the work of God in Christ that leaders in the church shared resources. They didn't compete, they collaborated. What if we were bridge builders? What if we celebrated others and gave the benefit of the doubt? What if we had empathy rather than self-righteousness and judgment? What if we weren't bitter? What if we could forgive like we've been forgiven? Owning our mistakes and repenting. What if we could experience the blessedness of the invitation to humble ourselves before the Lord and pray? A church, imagine a city where all the church got on our knees and humbly begged for God's mercy. I want to invite you to do that. There will be thousands in August. Christians around our city joining Pray SA. Go www.praysa.org and sign up. You can pray with us virtually. You can come to the parking lot at Freeman Coliseum. Join thousands of Christians in celebrating, humbling ourselves before the Lord to pray. Imagine a place where people looked not to their own interests, but the interests of others, where we considered other more important than ourselves. This is the invitation of the gospel. This is the invitation of Christ's love for us, to love this way. If you're hearing this and you say, it's too foreign to me, I don't understand it, I don't have a category for it, I think you're a little crazy, Mitchell. I'd say get in line. (laughs) But it might be that you don't know Jesus as Lord. Maybe you've never really put your faith in him. Maybe you've always thought that the only way to be made right with God was through your own work and your own performance. Friend, I want to invite you to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to turn from your sin and acknowledging the greatness of yourself and living for the false powers of our culture and your heart and to turn to come to Jesus who has loved you and given himself for you. Only in his humiliation can you find justification before God. If you do know Jesus as Lord and Savior, now's the time to start fasting from all of the false powers of the world and your own self-glorification and start feeding on the greatness of who God is. To acknowledge that our God reigns over everything. Our God is the most powerful. He's sovereign. And that we, he has humbled himself in his work, given himself for you, and you're secure in his love. It's where we're going to start next week and that security that we have in the love of God. But today we're going to end with just exalting God for his rule over everything. We're going to sing a song as we close, as a band comes up, and I am going to say a few words of introduction, Callan. Uh, this song, I, I want you to know Callan wrote this song, and it, is a, it comes birthed out of our church. And it's a celebration of God reigning. And if you, like me, struggle with believing that sometimes, then I want to invite you to really listen to and meditate on the words of this song. Because it starts off in a a position of prayer, of asking the Lord to help us understand that he reigns. And being moved by God's grace and a right realization, the revelation of who God is and what he's done in Christ 
to a place of praise. So a prayer for help me believe that you reign, God, to a place of praise. Because our God reigns, and we need a fresh view of who God is, only rightly realized through his revelation, so that we can be right-sized and celebrate the security we have in humility.